You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, you know, it's important that you and I understand today that we have a very powerful enemy. And I'll say that again. It's important that we understand that we have a very powerful enemy today. One who wishes you and your family nothing but harm. An enemy who hates this country and the godly principles on which he was founded. An enemy who detests the church of the living God. He hates it. And I want you to know something today. This enemy is on the move. And this enemy has been on the move for some time. And we're reminded about it again in these times. And this morning I think about the verse over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so this morning I want to preach on this uh, thought on surviving the coming siege. And just bear with me through that ominous uh, title, surviving the coming siege. That sounds bleak, doesn't it? That sounds pessimistic. Uh, I perhaps you'd call it thriving through the coming siege. Now, the siege I speak of again is just simply the fact that Satan is working against you. Now this can be on a very personal level. We all have, we, we encounter challenges and difficulties through our lives, trials and temptations. And so, folks, that's coming. You know, somebody once said this, that you either are going through a trial or a difficult time, you're either going through one, you're coming out of a difficult time, or you're going into a difficult time. Now, I don't know if that's exactly true or not, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible's right, and Job's right when he said, man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I believe that is, there's a lot of truth to that. But now, whether it's on a personal level or whether it's on a greater level, we know that we do live in a world that is increasingly hostile toward the things of God, toward the people of God. And remember, Jesus said that, you know, there's no wonder. He said, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. So we live in a world to where the enemy is on the move. I told you to turn to 2 Kings 18. Um, but if you would, go back one chapter first. And I want to give you just a little bit of the context. I want to go back to around 700 B.C. and show you that there are some very pertinent parallels and lessons that we can learn from 700 years ago that can help us, 700 B.C., that can help us in 2021. Now, just for a little bit of context, I want to read two verses out of 2 Kings 17, verses 5 and 6, where the Bible just simply says, Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it, three years and so thus the title surviving the coming siege the king of Assyria besieged uh, Samaria three years in the ninth year of Hosea king of the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria 
Now, just so you understand what Samaria is, he mentioned it there at the last, last part of verse number 6, carried Israel away. At this time, the kingdom had been divided. This once united kingdom had been divided. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, and then there was the northern tribes of Israel, which made up most of the tribes in that northern kingdom. But they turned away from God and worshiping God. The king of Assyria, the, the Assyrian empire was on the move, and they were going throughout all the Middle East, and they were taking siege, uh, taking city siege. You either paid a yearly tribute to the Assyrians, or you paid the consequences that we'll show in just a moment. So just to try to give you some background, the Assyrian army is moving around the Middle East. But then, now go with me to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. So Hezekiah, what are you going to do? Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And as we notice here in 2 Kings chapter number 1, verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 1. Now it came to pass the third year of Hosea, the son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Skip down with me, if you would, to verse number 3. And the Bible says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Now look at verse number 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor that were before him. Notice verse 6. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 7. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. So it's an interesting thing, isn't it? So here's Hezekiah. He knows that the Assyrian army is moving across the countryside. I mean, uh, and the Assyrian army, as we'll see in just a moment, they were masters of the siege. I love studying history. And so st from studying the Bible, I've learned a lot about the Assyrians. But then I've gone and just began to study more outside of that just for the sake of studying history because I love history so much. And while studying it, I came across some interesting things that are corroborated in the Bible narrative concerning the Assyrians. But they were the masters of the siege. There's probably no, there was no one before, certainly, and no one after that used the siege as effectively as the Assyrians did, which is modern day, uh, modern day Iran. And so, but the idea behind the siege is this: they would come in and they would circle a city or what, what have you. And those cities in those times were walled. And the idea was they would they would stay outside of the city, and no one from inside the city could come out or in. And eventually, you'd run out of food, run out of water. You'd need to open up the gates, and that's when the enemy would come in. That's kind of how a siege would work. Uh, but so that's what's going on. But what does God lead Hezekiah to do? How to survive or how to thrive during the siege? How to thrive when the enemy is coming in against us? You know what we need to do? And I'm going to have to preach this over the period of a couple of weeks. 
But number one, we're going to find out that the first thing we're going to need to do in order to survive and thrive during the enemy's attack, number one, is to look upward. Is to look upward. Number two is to look inward. Number three is to look around, which speaks of the, the church and those around us. Number four, to look onward. Number five, to look ahead. And that goes, believe it or not, there's things in this text that tie us to Jesus returning to set up his kingdom on this earth. It's really awesome. <laughs> but all I can do is share the first one with you today. And the first thing that we need if we're going to survive and thrive throughout enemy attacks is to look upward. To look upward. Uh, 2 Kings 18, 1 through 7, while all this is going on, while this dreaded king and kingdom and great army is sweeping across the countryside, somebody says, Hezekiah, what are you going to do? Hezekiah says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to seek the Lord. <laughs> we're going to look upward. We're going to look upward. The Bible says in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And uh, so we need to look up, look upward. And uh, the Bible says there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, how are we going to run this race? How are we going to endure the difficulties we face in life? The Bible says we're going to do that by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I, I want to pause right here just a second and ask you a question. When you see looming threats, whether it's in your personal life or whether you look at where we sit as a nation, I wonder, what are you looking at? What, what, what is it that's taking up much of your thoughts and your time? See, if we're going to survive and thrive during enemy attack, we must learn to look unto Jesus. And I'll probably say this again in a moment, but I want to say it just in case I forget. That looking unto Jesus right there, it's not talking about a glance. It's talking about a gaze. Uh, looking unto Jesus is looking away from everything else and looking to Him, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, with that in mind, I want to pause a second and say this. There's a reasonable apprehension. There's a reasonable apprehension. In other words, there's a lot of people, including God's people, that are kind of unsettled in these times. Not knowing what's coming next. You know, whether it's, whether it's, again, whether it's just something you're going through personally or whether you're following the big scene and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, what, what's coming? I mean, man, you can hear, you can certainly hear the worst, what is coming? And so there's a reasonable apprehension as we see the enemy coming in. Now, the enemy's making great gains. The enemy has great force. The enemy has great technology. And, and, and I want, to, want you to understand something. The, the Assyrians were on the cutting edge of the technology of their day. I mean, I'm talking about they were out there. Technology. Um, so the, 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 techno, the, the, the relentless nature of the enemy. Now, there's a reasonable apprehension. Why? Number one, because of the power of the enemy. The power of the enemy. From 900 to about 612 B.C., th listen... 
This was one of this this time period was dominated by the greatest one of the greatest and most powerful empires ever to exist, the Assyrian Empire. It's amazing to me that you, we don't hear as much about the Assyrian Empire because it was one of the greatest empires that has ever existed. They dominated most of the Middle East with absolute terror. Matter of fact, one of the reasons for their fall is that they did nothing but terrorize the people they conquered to the point to where resentment built up that as soon as there was a vulnerability, then that's where we see the Medes and the Babylonians coming together to take down the city and we see the rise of, the, of Babylon and it just goes right down through history. But they were infamous for again using the siege. I mentioned that. You either submitted to the Assyrians or you paid tribute. Um, or else they would, I, a couple of things here. Now, if you were a guest in the king of Assyria's home, in his palace, you would find some beautiful artwork along his walls. And one of the things the, the Assyrians were known for, if you did not surrender to them, they would literally pull you apart. One thing they would do. Uh, they would impale you alive and leave you stuck there till you died from you know, blood loss exposure, you'd be, and that's a graphic image, so I'll turn it. But that, that's what the Assyrians did. They would impale you alive. They would pull you apart. One of the other things they would do is they would literally skin you alive. They would skin you alive. <laughs> you say, preacher, that's graphic. You should have told me that. This is a PG content here. My kids are terrorized. Um, I doubt it, but anyway... That's what, matter of fact, there was one king that during the course of a siege, he uh, erected a huge pillar outside of the city, and once the walls were breached and they got into the city, uh, the king uh, skinned uh, the, the nobles of the city, and he covered the pillar, he wrapped it all in the skins of these men. So, needless to say, they were a rough crowd. These were the people that's coming knocking on your door. Now let's just back up a minute. Hezekiah! These dudes are coming. I mean, the Assyrians are coming to town. They've already taken out Elam. They've already taken out this city, this country, this nation. This is what they're doing to them. And Hezekiah, they're on their way here right now. And so, Hezekiah, we need some leadership. What do we need to do? Hezekiah says, I got it, everybody. We need to look up. We need to look up. See, but, but my point is, that's a reasonable apprehension. I understand that they were apprehensive. Why? Because of the power of the enemy. Not only the power of the enemy, but also the prowess of the enemy. The Assyrians, not only were they powerful and cruel, they were also on the cutting edge of technology and engineering. They were using iron weapons instead of bronze, which others were using. They traveled with engineers so that they would build bridges as they went along their way. And in the back of the, this, this massive army, they would have people that would be making weapons and they would be crafting, they, they would make these huge siege towers. They had wheels on them, they were huge, they had firefighters water because they would take this huge wooden structure and they would put leather on the front of it and if someone shot it with a fire air they would have men on there that would put it out while they rolled this siege machine toward the city walls 
And coming out of this siege machine was a huge battering ram. And so they would come and just begin to, to, to push that. And the men were, the army was behind it protected. And then they, they would have so many air, archers shooting arrows at the city. There was cover for them to get close to the walls. And then while these guys are trying to breach the top of the walls, they would come in, engineers would, and build earthen ramps. It's crazy. You can actually go to a city that was sieged by the Assyrians in six, about seven 50 B.C., and there's still a, uh, an earthen ramp up to the wall. In the, in matter of fact, it's, it's Lachish. And we'll talk more about this. This is a whole series. Uh, but the, the, the point is, then they would have these guys they called sappers. And they'd get at the bottom of the walls. And so you got them trying to bang into the weak points of the wall. If there's wooden doors, they're catching them on fire. And then at the, they'd go up to the other parts of the wall, and they would just begin to hit away at the foundation. You following me? I'm not just trying to teach you about the ancient Assyrians. I'm trying to say that there's a powerful force working against the people of God today. They're powerful and there's prowess. In other words, man, they've got it. They're determined. They're wise. And man, the Assyrians chipping away at the walls, chipping away at the foundations, you know, chipping away at the foundations of our country banging into the walls. I mean, listen, they were amazing with what they did. So the power of the enemy, the prowess of the enemy, you can understand apprehension. You can understand apprehension. You can understand people being preoccupied. It's hard to look at the Lord when these dudes are knocking at your door. It's hard to look at the Lord when you look around us and say, no, no, preacher, no, listen, things are going crazy. Do you see where things are going? And, and you're going to tell me to look at the Lord. Yes, I am. Amen. I'm going to tell you to look at the Lord. I'm going to tell you to look upward. Uh, the power of the enemy, the prowess of the enemy. Then not, not only that, but the purpose of the enemy. Number one, it was utter destruction. Utter destruction. This is cool. I'm just going to tell you some facts about the Assyrian Empire and just see how you can imagine them relating to the day. Number one, there was the commitment. Uh, as far as we know in history, the Assyrian army was the first full-time standing army. This speaks to their commitment. Most armies during this time, they were armies in the summer, and then they were you know, planting and harvesting other times a year. This was the first standing army, full-time standing army, and they, they began to master warfare. My point is this, the enemy is working full-time. See, throughout the years when the church hasn't been as committed as it ought to be, men, as when we haven't been as committed as we need to be in our homes, women, when we haven't been as committed as you need to be in the home, and on down the line, young people, when you've been thinking that you're supposed to be a juvenile until you're 35 years old, uh, listen, all the, all the while that's going on, man, the enemy hadn't stopped. And um, so their commitment, number two, the removal of heritage. I thought this was interesting. I found one of the things that one Assyrian king did when he came in to conquer a particular city is they got into the tombs and they took up all the bones of the kings. And they took the bones of the kings captive. Did you know that we live in a time to where, you just bear with me a minute, I'm going more on the patriotic side here for a moment. Did you know there's people that are trying to dig up the bones, so to speak, take away our heritage, carry off captive? 
uh, the, the founders of this country and the intention and the motivation of what they were doing. I mean, what, what is being taught today is not the true history. They're, all they want to do is highlight the flaws and they take away uh, the great things and the great inspiration of the way this country was founded. So they're, uh, they, they wanted to remove heritage. They took pride, listen, they took pride in mocking and defying the gods uh, of the people they encountered and destroying the temples of their enemies. They took pride in this. Uh, they, you don't want to know something else they did? They made free people slaves. I mean, you can go on. This is, this, it's amazing. We're talking about something 700 B.C., but you can see uh, parallels. Between 900 and 612 B.C., the Assyrians, listen to this, deported up to 5 million people. That's from uh, ground warfare in an, an international encyclopedia. So, again, what's my point? How are we going to survive? How are we going to th thrive through any, any enemy attack? This crazy enemy attack. I'll tell you what, just keep looking to the Lord. Look into Him. Now, that's not all we do. I've got four, other, four or five other points. But it starts with that. And I'm going to show you why in just a moment. But think about this. See, the direction that we are looking is paramount. This verse, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, For which cause we faint not. We faint not. We're not fainting. We're not falling. We're not going out. We're not falling out by the wayside. Why? But I'm sorry, I'm not giving you this verse yet, am I? Just bear with me. I'm giving you verse 16. But, for uh, though our outward man perish, the, in, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now this is the verse. While we look. Now how are we not perishing? This is 2 Corinthians 4.16. Verse 18, while we look. What are you looking at? While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. See, looking, looking unto Jesus. See, if you were to go over to 3 Kings with me this morning, see if anybody caught that, there's no 3 Kings. All right, so understand then where I'm coming from. I'm speaking uh, uh, facetiously, if you will. If you were to go over to 3 Kings with me, you would find something out about this people of the city of Judah. They were getting hung up on YouTube videos. See, they put in their Google search engine and said, Assyrian siege machine. They begin to watch the videos. And, and in that video, it, it's got pictures of what they did at Lachish and at Elam and all these other things. Man, they're watching these videos. They're listening to podcasts about what the Assyrians are doing. They're going around and saying, you look at this. Well, you look at this. Look what's going on. You need to know what's coming. I mean, now just bear with me. I, I, there's some people turn the hearing aids off. I mean, listen to me for a moment. <laughs> listen, what I'm trying to say is this. We live in a time, just let me talk to you from my heart. We live in a time, and for good reason, that trust in the government is at an all-time low, is it not? I mean, 
you know, and, and I just think of it this way. You know, you, you mean to tell me the government can't be trusted? <laughs> you mean to tell me that we can't trust the Gates, Zuckerbergs, Bezos of the world? What? Is that news? Um, see, all I'm trying to say is this. With distrust at perhaps an all-time high, it's easy to buy in a little bit too much. I'm not trying to tell anybody here today to not be informed. I'm not telling you not to be prepared. That's actually one of the points, I mean, that I may not get to today. Listen, it starts by looking at the Lord. But when we look at the Lord, we learn to, get, we do, we learn to do some preparation. King Hezekiah actually made a conduit to where they had water coming into the city. He raised the height of the walls. There's preparation. But it starts by looking at the Lord. See, but what happens is we buy in, we overly buy in. Not only do we begin to buy in to what seems like and may be good theories and good truth, we begin to propagate it. Now, just bear with me. And, and, and again, not telling, I'm not telling you not to be informed. I'm not telling you not to do research. However, I will encourage you to keep the main thing the main thing. I was thinking about one thing in particular. You know, we know that, uh, for instance, I'm just using this as an example. You know, we know about House Resolution 666, right? Uh, and then someone sent me a text yesterday and said, Hey, look up uh, Lucifer Ease 060606. And you know, this has to do with vaccination and microchips and all this stuff. Um, now, what's going on with this stuff? Well, let, let me go to the end. The thing that there's people worried about is, if you get this, you're going to take the mark of the beast. Let me tell you something right now. The government could capture me this very moment and insert me with microchips that have I love Satan 666 all over them until my body absolutely explodes and I still haven't received the mark of the beast. That's important to understand. Because from a biblical standpoint, Jesus has not returned yet. The man of sin has not, the Antichrist has not, the beast has not yet been revealed. Therefore, there is no mark of the beast. Therefore, there is not a micro, there is not, there is not a microchip in existence right now that is the mark of the beast. There is not a vaccination, there's not anything, there's not a tattoo that is the mark of the beast. Now, are these precursors for the mark of the beast? Sure they are. May they go as blatantly as to put crazy names and numbers on them? Perhaps they will. But it doesn't make it the mark of the beast. So my point is this. To what end am I trying to get people to understand this? To some extent, perhaps. But at the same point, to what end? I'm not keeping... If, listen, if you want to keep people from taking the mark of the beast... Win them to Jesus. <laughs> Send them a video of Adrian Rogers telling somebody how to be saved. Amen. I mean, I'm not telling you not to send them the other video. But, but here's my point. With the child of God, okay? Because I, I, I know that sometimes we can be real, real defensive. Uh, because, you know, of, of getting called... Uh, uh, Man, you get caught it, and I can't even think of what it is right now. You know, oh, you're just conspiracy theorists, and all these things that people get caught, and so they get to don't get defensive with me, okay? Because I'm not your enemy. But here's what I am saying: 
And just, just ask yourself these questions. Keep yourself in, keep doing your research. Keep listening to your podcast. Keep watching videos. However, are you digging more in the Word of God or the latest political, big tech, New World Order agenda? I'm going to ask that question again. Are you digging more in the Bible or in the latest political, big tech, New World Order agenda? If you aren't, you're out of balance. You're out of balance. Are you sharing more of the good news of the gospel or of the, the news of the world's move and against morality or, or, and, and the, the move of immorality and all the things? Are you, which are you sharing more? So which are you digging into more? Which are you sharing more? Uh, what are you investing more time, energy, and thoughts into? See, ultimately, our, our attention needs to be toward Him. And you know what that produces? It produces victory. It produces peace. It produces joy. It produces a witness for the lost and dying world. See, because I'm telling you, understand this. Listen to me closely. The devil is cunning. He's very cunning. And I believe that the devil is cunning enough to get us involved into something to where we actually think we're fighting the devil. When all the while it's actually taking us away from God and making us a less effective witness for Christ. And the devil sits back and laughs and here we are crusading. I'm just saying we need to be wise. Look to the Lord. You say, preacher, did you say not to listen to this? No, I didn't say that. Did you say not to share? I didn't say that. Did I say that? I didn't say that. I just said, which are you doing more? Which matters more? Where are your eyes more? Are you shouting more about the goodness of God this week? Or fussing more over the things going on? We can fuss. I mean, there's things to fuss about. Again, I started this by saying, those Assyrians aren't playing around, man. Our enemy's not playing around. And I understand that, but I'm just trying to tell you my God's bigger. And I'm not as interested in winning an argument with somebody as I am as winning that person to Christ. What if I can convince them? All these political things, all these social things. Okay, to what end? I'm just asking, to what end are the things that we're investing our time and energy into? To where my main objective needs to be, you know what, uh, yeah, we, we could talk about that later, but I've got one serious question for you. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Do you know the Lord? Well, I'm a Biden supporter, that's fine. But do you know Christ? Are you a Christ supporter? You know, well, I support abortion. Okay, well, but do, do you know Christ? I mean, I, I, I'm against those things. You know, I'm, I'm for what, what I need to be for. I'm against what I need to be against. But my main thing is I want to, do, do I mean, what, what it, got, it, it makes me think of this. What about people, number one, what about people that have had abortions? We want to show them the love of Christ, don't we? We want to win it. I mean, and, and again, uh, not, you know, whatever. We want to help people. What about people that are involved in LGBTQYZ, whatever? You know what? We want to show them the love of Christ. We don't change our stand. It's just, so it's the same principle, see? It doesn't change our stand, 
but it, 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 but it also doesn't change our ultimate agenda. And that's to, win, that's to, to, be, to unify as a church. See, that's another thing. You've got to be careful. These, some of these things are dividing churches. Dividing churches. Anyway, I, I'm just trying to say today, keep our eyes on the Lord. Um, we will find that looking upward leads to some planning and preparation. I mentioned that. Again, uh, have knowledge. Be prepared. I mean, all that's good. But the, just keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep it in balance. When the children of Israel crossed Jordan into Canaan's land, the Lord's instructions were to look at the ark and follow it. The ark, folks, represents Jesus. And he tells us in Joshua 3 why we can follow him. And I just want to give you a couple of these things, then we'll be through. Number one, the reason it's a blessing to look to the Lord is because he is the Lord God. Let's see where we're at. He is the Lord God. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9, hear the words of the Lord your God. Here's the great thing about God. If God's word says it, it's going to come to pass. God's commandments are His empowerments. In other words, He challenges us to be men and women of character and of faith. He challenges us to lead our homes. He challenges us to live as witnesses and lights in this world. You know what? And if He tells us to do it, He's going to give us the power to do it. Uh, we can do that which we couldn't do on our own because He told us to do it. The man with the withered hand that stood before the Lord, Jesus come to him and said, Stick forth, stretch your hand out. That man didn't have the ability to stretch out his hand. But Jesus told him to do it. So His commandment became His empowerment. And see, what God tells us to do, He will empower us to do. So He's the Lord God. He's the living God. The Bible says the living God is among you, the Lord of all the earth. This is a cool principle. No matter, so the enemy's coming in. Every demand on your life is a demand on Him. I'll say that again. Every demand the enemy puts on your life is a demand on Him. I've used this illustration before, but you want to know something pretty fascinating? Do any of you feel pressure right now? Did you know that there is 14 pounds of pressure per square inch of your body? So 14 times how many square inches your body is made out of? Some of us is... So multiply that. And at this very moment, you literally have tons of pressure pushing against you right now. Look it up. I'm telling you something... Uh, Science, amen. 14 pounds of pressure per square inch. Tons of pressure on you right now. You say, preacher, that can't be true or I'd be, uh, what's a good word, squished. I'd be crushed right now. But you're not. Why? Because you have pressure on the inside. That pushes against the pressure on the outside. See, the, our, the Lord our God, He's the living God. There's a lot of pressure on us. The enemy's great. The enemy's big. He's coming in like a flood. But let me tell you something. For whatever pressure he tries to put on, on, the, out, on the outside, we've got the Holy Spirit of God on the inside. Amen? We've got something to give us victory. He's the Lord God. He's the living God. We look to Him as the Lord God. We look to Him as the living God. We look to Him as the liberating God. Spoiler alert, I'm telling you the end of the story. But in 2 Kings 19 verse 35, what happened to this great army that's coming against Judah? The Bible says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians 
and hundred fourscore and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. <laughs> they looked to the Lord. And you know what? God delivered them. And I'm telling you, God's deliverance looks different ways. But I'm telling you, God will deliver us. Amen? Now, there's, we, we've got brothers and sisters that have been delivered through death, through prison, through persecution. But I'm telling you, God delivers he still does, amen? He's the liberating God. See, an upward look in the time of trouble leads to victory. God took care of the enemy. Number two, an upward look in the time of trouble leads to joy. Some, I, I, I want to encourage you to do this. Man, I hope you could be, would do it. Between here and next week, read Psalm 46, 47, and 48. All three of those are songs that were written after this happened. Psalm 47, you look to the Lord, it leads to victory. You look in Psalm 47, the Bible says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. How's your joy meter going right now? Well, I'm telling you one thing. If you're stuck looking at this world or you're out of balance in looking at the world, you probably don't have a lot of joy. But looking unto the Lord brings joy. Looking unto the Lord gives peace. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in the time of trouble. Amen. Therefore, will not we fear? That's another one that was written because of what we're reading about today. Listen, today, would you look unto the Lord? The enemy's coming in. How are we going to survive? How are we going to thrive during the siege? I'm telling you what we're going to do. We're going to look to Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to look to Him. We're going to stand for Him. And if today, I want to say this. I don't know your heart. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You say, what do you mean by that? Christ as my Savior. What I just simply mean is this. Have you ever come to a place where you really understood why Jesus went to the cross? Died on the cross, rose again the third day? Do you realize He did that for you? Do you realize He did that for you because you have sinned? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, see? So Jesus paid the price of death. Your death, your hell on the cross when He died there and shed His blood. He rose again the third day again for you. So that you could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death? Saved from sin? Saved ultimately from a literal place called hell that was not made for people, but for the devil and his angels. Have you been saved? What does it mean to be saved? Well, Jesus basically purchased a gift on that cross that day. And to be saved is to receive that gift. Not just simply to acknowledge that gift, but to accept that gift by faith. The Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen to this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isaiah 45 verse 22 says, Look unto me, and be ye saved. Look unto me, and be ye saved. You say, preacher, what do I need to do? I, I, I've not accepted Christ. I've, I've not, I believe He purchased the gift, but I've never accepted that gift. What do I do? You can accept that gift right now by simply calling on the Lord. Would you do that today? Has God spoken to your heart? Man, would you like to know what it is to have that peace, that forgiveness, 
Would you be willing to turn to Him today, repent and turn to Christ? If so, from your heart, you could pray a prayer, something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for paying the price for my sin. I pray, God, that you would forgive me of my sin, cleanse me from my sin, come into my heart and life and be my Savior today. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name, and I want to thank you, Lord, because by faith I receive. I'm not asking for a sign. I'm not asking for any other notification, but I trust you and thank you that by faith I received you. Now, if you could say a prayer like that from your heart today, you could say that you've looked unto the Lord, that you've accepted Him. But you'd have to say it from the heart because it's not just with the words, it's with the heart. Child of God, where are you looking? Where are you looking today? Are you looking toward Him?